Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, happy Holy Week. It's so good to begin this week together. And as Macy um, already shared, um, this is a week unlike any other week. And that's why it's called Holy Week. It's something that is set apart and something that is uniquely celebrated uh, within the context of the global church in so many diverse and beautiful ways. And uh, we get to have an expression of that as we begin this morning and as we sing, as we worship, and continuing this week uh, before we jump into this morning's text and to share some thoughts um, around it for us uh, to really kind of set a trajectory and a tone for this week and how we can be celebrating um, this would again remind you tomorrow night uh, with the worship night we have that in store as a time to a set apart um, to to worship to continue to express our gratitude our thanksgiving our praise to Jesus um, and then and then also um, since we don't meet on Friday as it's Good Friday you guys are off so hopefully you're happy about that um, and you get some extra time but hopefully you can some time away and some time to celebrate some time of solitude reflect but because of that and not meeting on Friday we're going to be meeting here on Wednesday again and having another time of worship and walking through the scriptures uh, and just reading through from the context of the whole Holy Week kind of a journey through up to the cross. And I really want to encourage you to come. Um, that would be a, a, just a, a special, unique time uh, to just really soak in the truth of the Scriptures and to sing the truth of, uh, from the Scriptures uh, back to the Lord. But for this morning, um, on Monday of Holy Week, it's been uh, kind of a tradition that I've developed over the last several years where I, I like to just journey through something we're going to do on Wednesday. But I like to begin, okay, what happened? What was Jesus up to on Monday of Holy Week? And what I want us to do is actually go back and look at a passage that really set the, the tone for this week, um, stemming off of Palm Sunday and Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem that would be for his last time. And, uh, and I love the context of this. This is Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem. He knew that his, his face was set like flint with a resolute uh, a priority to get to Jerusalem, and knowing that this was going to be the pathway of suffering to the cross. And it says in the Gospel of Luke that as Jesus entered into the city riding on a donkey, that he looked upon the people and he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd and because they did not recognize the time of their visitation and did not understand who Jesus actually was and what he actually came to do. But then it says in Mark's gospel, right after that, he went into the temple and he looked around. And I love that. He looked around. But then it said because the day was late, he left and went back out to Bethany, the place where he would be lodging for the night. And the scripture now that I want to look at, if you turn with me to, in Matthew chapter 1, 21, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 21 is what Jesus did that next morning and really how this week be began and what happened and what Jesus did. So would you read this with me? It's Matthew 21, 12, beginning in verse 12, going through verse 17. It says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, 
and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we come before you humbled by the fact that we can look back now at over 2,000 years ago and reflect upon this week, celebrate this week. As it points us to the cross, as really all of scripture either flows towards the cross or flows from the cross. We look back to the cross. We recognize how we would not be here today if it was not for this week. If it was not for the cross. If it was not for the empty tomb. And Jesus, in the same way that you rode into the city of Jerusalem and what you saw caused you to weep, in the same way that you entered into your temple And what you saw clearly provoked a righteous anger. Jesus, I believe that you would see and feel some of the same things as you look upon the world today. As you look upon our city. Jesus, I pray that you would have your way in Minneapolis as the trial um, for Derek Chauvin over the killing, over the death of George Floyd. And all of that entails is that's beginning right now as opening statements are happening right now just 12 miles down the highway from here. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, as you look across other cities, you look at the shootings that have happened in Atlanta, shootings that have happened in Boulder, Colorado, and the various communities that are hurt and suffering and grieving because of that. Jesus, have your way. Enter in. Jesus, as you look upon your global church, as you see your children being persecuted, being put in prison, being put to death because of their allegiance to you, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, come into your house. Come into our lives and bring a cleansing, bring the purity that we so need so that we could see you for who we are, for who you are, see ourselves for who we are, see the world for what it is, and that we would enter into this world afresh this week as your agents and ambassadors of your kingdom. So Jesus, now in these last, just final, in these few moments that we have as we unpack this this core text, Holy Spirit of the living God, work afresh in each of us. Purify us. Demonstrate your power and release us to praise you with a fresh fervency and a passion. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. You know, I often wonder uh, what would happen if Jesus was visiting chapel this morning. I wonder what he would see. I wonder what he would feel. I wonder what he would do. We all know that there's no shortage of opinion, right, about what's supposed to happen in chapel and how it's supposed to happen and what's supposed to occur but I, I, I believe that as we look upon this scene in this text, we, we, we can learn some things 
that I believe from this moment in this time over 2,000 years ago where Jesus entered his house, entered a gathering of God's people and what he did. And I, and, I, and I wonder if maybe some of the same things that he did then would be some of the same things that he did that he would do now. Some of the same things that he would say back then would be some of the same things that he would say right here, right now. And so as we're uh, in, in this context of this scene, what I want to do is just walk through it. I want to highlight just three things of what Jesus was getting at, of what he said, of what he did, and how that pertains to you and I this week during Holy Week. And so I want to invite you, would you just say with me this phrase, a house of prayer, a house of prayer is a house of power. Okay, uh, and then I jumped, I jumped my gun. It's actually the first, a house of prayer, come on, house of prayer is a house of purity. It's a house of purity. Look at the text with me. Jesus says, and Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So he, he, what's Jesus doing here? Now remember, this is, this, is, this is in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the week of Passover preparation where the city of Jerusalem would swell to four or five times its typical population. Pilgrims would travel from all over the known region and world. And that the very centerpiece of this was the temple. And in the context of the temple, the three different kind of sets or sections of the temple, the outer section was the court of the Gentiles, where people would, would come in and they would actually have to do a couple different things in order to prepare for worship for Passover. They would have to exchange money. So if they, if they had the Roman currency that was considered unclean, they'd have to exchange currency. So there were, there were tables or booths set up. And then they would also have to buy certain animals to offer sacrifices. But because many of the people that were coming were poor and were pilgrims, they couldn't necessarily afford certain types of animals. And so different types of animals and pigeons uh, were, were kind of the, the, the lesser, least expensive animals that you would have to present for sacrifice. Um, and so all of this was taking place. But here was the thing that, of what was happening, is that the, the, those that are in charge of the temple courts, they were actually not, they were exercising injustice and using God's temple courts as a means for their own selfish gain. In other words, that they, in the, in the process of, of exchanging the money and the currency, that it wasn't, it, they weren't doing it fairly. They were actually taking, they were having an imbalance there and actually gaining money on the exchange of the currency. Okay, a lot of that happens today. We know that. And, and, and also they were charging, uh, they were, uh, charging more than they should have for these pigeons, for these sacrificial animals. And we realize that, that, that this idea of in the temple, those services, here's the thing, they were actually supposed to be there. But they were supposed to help people worship, not hinder the worship. But all of a sudden, without them recognizing the owner of the house, the owner of the temple crosses the threshold and he sees what's happening here and he begins to drive out all those who sold and bought, overturn the tables of the money changers and Jesus with divine authority proclaims two scriptures. One of them being Isaiah 56, 7 where he says, it is written, my house should be called the house of prayer. And in Luke's version and in Luke's and uh, Mark's gospel it says the house of prayer for the nations. Indicating that this temple, this place 
and the Jewish people in general were supposed to be the conduit by which the blessing of God, the gospel of God, the good news of God's grace would be extended out to everybody, to all peoples, to all tribes, to all tongues, to peoples, languages, and nations in order for them to have access, in order for them to come to be able to worship and to pray. So Jesus steps in and he clears out what was supposed to be good and useful to restore the priority of what was essential. He cleans house because he recognizes that we're not here for the right motive. And he says this, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. So I love this. Jesus says, my house, my house. And notice when you say a a house, Right? You think of a house, you think of a household, a place where people gather, it's a place where people commune, a place where people fellowship. This idea of, of a house, and it's a house, if you think of it, and he calls it a house of what? Prayer. House of prayer. Now, if something's going to be a house of something, you would, you would expect that whatever that, that something is would be the primary thing that would occupy that place, right? So in order for, for the, something to be a house of something, you would expect that activity that to be prioritized. You expect that, that, that the, whatever that something is would be the, the rise to the level of the most prominence, the most significance in that house. So think, for example, if you were to go down the street to, the, to IHOP, to the International House of pancakes, right? And you wanted to sit down and you want to order, uh, you wanted to order what you would expect to be in there would be pancakes, but you open up the menu and all of a sudden all you see is a bunch of different salads. House of, house of, says house of pancakes. House of, no, it's only salad. Like what? Hold on. There'd be a disconnect, right? A house of pancakes. Jesus is saying, my house, in other words, where my people gather, who are called by my name, the very temple of God is called to be a house of prayer. Pancakes are great too, right? But a house of prayer. Now why prayer? House of prayer. You see, people, the people of God were marked by prayer from the very, very beginning. It says all the way back in Genesis 4 that those, the people started to call upon the name of the Lord. This says back in, in, in Deuteronomy that says, who is a God like our God who has a nation whose God is so near to it when we call upon his name? A house of prayer. That the primary activity of what we're supposed to be about, of what we're supposed to do, of what we're supposed to engage in is prayer. Now what is prayer? We're going to spend a, a, a couple of weeks here on the week of prayer and service, just three weeks from this week. We're going to spend a lot of time unpacking that. But here's the thing that I wanted to share with you right now to sum up. Prayer is first and foremost about our intimacy with God together, not about our ministry or our activity for God. So in other words, what we can learn from this passage, and Jesus calling it a house of prayer, notice that he doesn't call it a house of serving. He doesn't call it a house of singing. He doesn't call it a house of even preaching or house of teaching. He calls it a house of prayer, which we can learn something from this text that it's possible to show up in the context of a gathering like this this morning, and you can sing, you can serve, you can listen to a message, you can get up and leave and still be far from God, and still be just as distant, and your heart still just be as cold and dead as it was when you walked in. But you cannot come into the place where the people of God are gathering and truly enter into that place of prayer where you begin to commune with God. We begin to call upon his name. When you begin to cry out to him 
and remain the same and still be far from God. See, calling it a house of prayer not only talks about what we do, but how we do what we do. How many of you are really praying when we just sang those songs a couple of moments ago? Or are you just going through the motions? How many of you right now are praying as I'm speaking to you? I know I am. We can do that at the same time. How many are saying, Jesus, I need you? How, Jesus, help me to hear. Help me to wake up. Help me to truly engage in what you make possible for me. Because your house is a house of prayer. So the best question for us to ask as we gather today in God's house isn't, did I like the singing? Was the song selection great? Did, did Justin make sense today? You know, hopefully, sometimes, you know, did, was it a cool message? No, no, no. Did I encounter the living God? Did I encounter the living God? Because that's my prayer. I need Jesus more than anyone else in this room. And I know that this is a context and a place where we can gather together and encounter him. So here's the thing. For the house of prayer is a house of purity. And the first step becoming a house of prayer is to invite Jesus to cleanse us of any impure motives and activities. Jesus, enter this temple. Because we know just three days, four days later, that curtain was going to be torn. Seventy years later, that temple was going to be leveled and destroyed, never to be built again, because Jesus was going to be building a new temple, you and I. Like living stones are being put together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, is what 1 Peter says and Ephesians 2 says. We are the house of God, beloved. So invite Jesus. Say, Jesus, come into this house. What do you see? What do you feel? Overturn tables. Cast out, drive out anything that was not initiated by you. We need a time of cleansing and a purity because a house of prayer is a house of purity. Next, would you say this with me? This is the first phrase. I just got a little excited and got there too early. A house of prayer? House of prayer? is a house of power. It's a house of power. Look what happens next in verse 14. It says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Look what happens next. After Jesus purifies the temple as a place of prayer, he then demonstrates his divine power. We see Jesus shift from expressing his righteous anger to showing his divine compassion. The blind and the lame, in other words, people who were often rejected and outcast from the temple, came to Jesus because he had cleared the way for them and he healed them. Jesus always loves, protects, and pursues those who are most vulnerable. And who of you this morning, maybe in your spiritual blindness, Maybe feeling that sense of, of apathy, of lethargy. Maybe feeling that sense of rejection, of being outcast, of being oppressed, of being anxious, of being overwhelmed. Need a touch from God. Jesus' purpose is to come and to clear all the obstacles so that we can come to him and we can experience his healing touch. You see, I love this. A simple definition of prayer is just declaring our dependence on God. And these, the blind, the crippled, and the lame recognize that if they, they, don't have, they don't have a hope in the world, they are dead in the water if, if Jesus does not clear away. That's why when he would come on the public scene, they would cry out to him. It's our dependence on God. But conversely, it's also true. And as a mentor of mine, Daniel Henderson, would often say, our prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. So the degree in which we are prayerless in anything we do is to the degree in which we say to God, I really don't need you. I got this. And in today's day and age, 
we are so tempted to put our trust in and to depend on so many things other than God himself. This, we have more marketing campaigns, technology, strategic thinking, fundraising, abundance of resources, some of the most skilled and professional leaders. And all of those things in and of themselves are not bad, but sometimes we get caught up and then we, to the where we lose our dependence upon Christ and prayer as the source of our power. You know, it's interesting that in the whole context of Jesus' ministry, that his disciples never asked them, Jesus, teach us how to raise the dead like you did, Lazarus. Jesus, teach us how to walk on water. I mean, that was pretty cool. Jesus, teach us how to feed a crowd of 20,000 people with a little boy's Lunchables. Jesus, teach me how to confound and, and, and astound all of my opponents that I'd be able to just have the right rhetoric and I could win any argument and I can just shut all my opponents down. I could teach with authority. No, no, no. Notice the only question we have of Jesus' disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to do something was this in Luke 11. Jesus, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples. Because here's the thing. If we can learn to pray like Jesus prayed, we will have the power to live as Jesus lived. A house of prayer is a house of power. And when we invite Jesus to purify us, we become channels of his grace to flow through in power and to minister, specifically to minister to those who are poor and powerless and making a way and clearing all the obstacles for those who are far from God to come near to God. And then lastly, would you say this with me? A house of prayer, a house of prayer is a house of praise. It's a house of praise we're starting to wake up here. Look what happens next. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out of the temple, what are they saying? Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yeah, duh. Have you never read? The die, that was my uh, translation. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. I love this. And I want to invite us at this point, would you stand? Because we're going to sing. We're going to do this. We're, this last point, we're, going to, we're just going to do this last point. I'm just going to share a couple thoughts on this. But notice the two, I want you to notice two things. Who are the people that really get it in the temple? It was those that were outcasts. It was the blind. It was the lame. It was the poor. But it was also the children. And Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter my kingdom. In other words, a child, at the very essence, is one that was exercises and recognizes their dependence, recognizes their, limit, their limits, recognizes their weakness, and they praise God out of that place. And the children start singing. The children start praising God, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And so people, and the, and the other aspect of this is notice the religious leaders. They're the ones that are indignant. They're the ones that are angry. They're the ones because they recognize that their sense of control has is, being, is, is slipping away. And here's the thing about prayer. Prayer will always deliver us from our illusion of control. Did you hear that? It'll deliver us from our illusion of control. And kids and children have that sense of that childlike faith and dependence to come before their Heavenly Father and to cry out and to praise Him. And so we're going to do that in these Final moments together in these last couple songs as the band leads us. And I just want to say, Jesus, right now, I pray that in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you please purify us? Would you please drive out any impure motives? Would you please overturn our, our pride? Would you, would you drive out, Lord, our fear? Would you drive out 
uh, Lord, all of our agenda, all of our expectations, Lord, would you come in and clean house? Lord, would you cause us to be a pure channel of your grace to flow through? That your power, is, your kingdom is, a, is not just consistent word and talk, but a demonstration of power of the Spirit. And Jesus, right now, may we come to you like kids, like your beloved children, and simply praise you and to cry out like these kids in this text, Hosanna to the son of David. You have prepared play, praise out of our mouths right now. And your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And in a new and a fresh way, Jesus, may we encounter your presence in these last moments together as we celebrate you together this holy week. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's sing.